we cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Client Horror Stories. While we have a lot of software developers and digital marketers um, on, I'm excited that we're branching out into different professions to see what everyone can learn because being a professional is being a professional. And I'm honored that to have Liz Farr from Farr Communications to tell us a CPA story today. Liz, great to have you on. Thanks, Morgan. It's it's a pleasure to be here. And I think that even though this is a tax problem, I think that there are lessons that apply to just about anybody who's in business and who works with clients. I I agree. And I think, and before we jump into the story, which I'm excited to hear, one of the things that I've learned in um, in my career and also from talking to everyone in these client horror stories episodes is that a lot of the principles of professional good behavior, document things, be transparent, deal with problems, translate into any discipline under the sun. They do. They do. They really do. So what? So tell us about a client horror story that you faced once upon a time. Yeah. Well, these days I'm a CPA and a professional writer. But for 15 years, I worked as a CPA and mostly did tax returns. Um, A CPA for your non-U.S. listeners is a certified public accountant. And one of the main things I did was prepare tax returns for clients. Mm -hmm. So this was about 2006 when... John Smith, I'm just going to call him that because honestly, I have blocked out his real name. I don't even remember (laughs) his real name, but I always called him our IRS tax dodge. IRS stands for the Internal Revenue Service, which is the tax administration part of the federal government. So Mr. John Smith walked into our office in New Mexico. He had just moved to New Mexico from Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, he had sold this 200-acre farm. um, And the total was probably about $2 million he got from it. Um, he sold it in pieces, in about three or four pieces. So some of it, he got the proceeds outright. Um, Some of the pieces were sold on real estate contracts, which meant he was really financing the sale and the buyers were paying him over time. Right. So he needed his tax returns done. Now, normally, when a new client walks in the door, we ask for their tax returns from the last, at least last year, and we try and go back about three years. And the reason we do this is so that we can just kind of look and see what kinds of things they have on their tax returns generally, and to see if there are any opportunities for us to get back some refunds, um, to make some changes. And sometimes they have activities in prior years that have repercussions for the future. There are tax attributes that carry forward. So we wanna make sure that we're capturing all of that. And so when we asked him for his tax returns, he kind of kind of chuckled and kind of said, ha, ha, ha. Well, they're, they're in a box somewhere. 
I, I haven't completely unpacked yet. And so I was like, okay. So he gave us a big pile of stuff. And we started working on his tax returns. So I, I, I have a question. Before we get into you doing the actual work, I always think it's useful to identify red flags so that, uh, so that we can learn. So you mentioned one red flag, which is basically ask for the account history and he, and, and he, and he wouldn't give it to you. And like, and in, in any profession, like you get a, you take over an online advertising campaign. Hey, can I have access to your Google ads account? Ha 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 ha. No, sorry. Like, hmm, why are they given to me? Like, has their account been banned? What happened? So that's one red flag. I, I think there's another, there's some other red, subtle red flags hidden in there. You mentioned often that he responded with a joke rather than seriously. And some, and while mm -hmm. I love telling jokes, sometimes on sensitive and legal issues, when you turn things into jokes, it kind of implies to me that you might be hiding something. Like there's a time and place for humor and there's a time and place for seriousness. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, and actually, a third red flag I want I want to mention just just to get your just to get your um, your thoughts on this one. I would have also thought like at a two million dollar sale, especially if this was a few years ago when when like that was even more than it is today. Like not having an accountant to deal with it already, like is like wait, how can you do something so big without an accountant in hand? That feels like a third yeah. flag to me. Yeah, that, that really should have been a red flag because frequently accountants will establish a relationship with their clients that can last decades. Right. And it may not really matter that the client has moved out of state or maybe the accountant has moved out of state. They can still stay in touch they can still maintain the relationship. So yeah, it was kind of odd that here he was kind of this real estate agent and kind of property developer and did not maintain his relationship with the accountant in Pennsylvania. And, you know, as, as will be revealed, there was a reason why he did not have... Uh -huh a relationship with an accountant that he could bring with him. I, I like your hinting for the excitement that's to come, like a true storyteller. Yeah. So anyways, you know, um, he brought us the stuff. He had reinvested the money that he got into some land in New Mexico. So part of it, he was building a house on and part of it, he was building roads and subdividing so that he could sell. So he was doing all this stuff. And he brought us his documents. You know, it was a combination of the kind of tax reporting documents that go to the IRS. So that kind of, there are some documents of transactions that are reported to the IRS and then we get a copy of them. And so the IRS checks to make sure that their records match what's on the tax return. They, they do this matching. And if they don't match then they you get a nasty gram from the irs and they say um, that that's a technical tax term by the way <laughs> i assume so yeah and so if if things don't match and they'll tell you hey you left off this income um we've gone ahead and adjusted your account and so you owe us an extra two thousand dollars or whatever you know and if they're right then you just say okay write a check done um so he had a combination of irs documents and then these handwritten notes now, his wife was the one that seemed to compile all the records. And 
The best way to explain it is she kind of used a sheet of paper like it was a spreadsheet. So okay. up in, in one corner, she would have the property taxes. And she'd draw a little circle around it. And she'd have, you know, the label and then a bunch of numbers. And then over here, she'd have like utility bills and draw a little circle around that. And then over here might be phone bills. Yeah. And so we got this sheet of paper with just, you know, all these little kind of circles and squares and filled in with numbers and labels and just kind of, you know, we couldn't really tell if it was right or not. So I, I have a question, which is mostly about my ignorance or which is how sketchy is that? Because I feel like in 2021, like everything's online and spreadsheets so that's weird but i'm old enough to remember the world before computers and like my parents mm -hmm. having sheets of paper like that so if maybe if someone's older and that's just how they've always done it like that that might not necessarily be sketchy. but i'm not an accountant so we're like what is Wait, that that was not desirable this was 2006 so it was a few years ago and there still are people who keep their records that way, or maybe they will give you a shoebox of receipts or maybe envelopes of receipts. They'll just give you a hodgepodge. And we're, we try to discourage that, but sometimes that's the best way you can get the information. Okay. So, so maybe that wasn't a red flag, but a yellow flag. <laughs> kind of like, you know, there was never, there were never any receipts to back up any right. of this, any documentation. So we couldn't really tell if they were just pulling these numbers out of thin air and writing them down or going through a checkbook register or other records, we really couldn't tell. Um, but I've done tax returns for people who have given me comparable stuff. Yes. And usually it's kind of like, nah, I don't know. But as a CPA, we have to assume that our clients are being honest and forthright. That's sort of our professional standards to assume that they are being honest. But if we see something that doesn't make sense, that contradicts something else that we're getting, then it's our responsibility to investigate, to question the client, to ask them about it, and to see, you know, it, it's always up to them what they want to do about this discrepancy. But if we feel that they're behaving in an unethical manner, then it is also our responsibility to say, I can't work with you anymore. But what's so I want to do a quick parenthetical on that because I find this interesting, which is one of the themes of the podcast that I'm very interested in is what is professional behavior? And you made a point that I had never consciously thought about before, which is you said that as a CPA, it's one of your professional obligations to assume your clients being honest mm -hmm. until the weight of the evidence shows that they're not. And I mm -hmm. never thought about that as a pattern because I think maybe I was very cynical. So I'm very skeptical of everyone from day one. But thinking about it, like you go to the doctor and your new doctor asks your medical history and the doctor has to assume that you're just not inventing your medical history out of thin air. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like mm -hmm. it has to start from this position of assuming that you're, that, that you're, uh, that your professional client is, um, is honest. And, and I like that. I hadn't wired that in until right now. Yeah, well, as a CPA, that's part of our ethical professional standards. Those are that's our ethics that we have to adhere to. 
And so it's part of being a CPA that we have to do that. It's sort of boiled in. That's what we have to do. So, you know, anyways. So back to the story. Yeah, we continued this pattern for a couple of years. Um, He always filed his tax returns by mail. Keep in mind, this is 2006, so we still had a lot of clients who were filing by mail. You know, they like to get their printout of the tax return and sign it with a pen and then put it in an envelope and go to the post office and stand in line and mail it. They like to do that. So having you know, a request that, no, I don't want to electronically file it. I want to mail it in. That was not, not any kind of red flag. That was like a nothing for us. Right. Okay. And every year when it was time to do his tax return to start working on, I'd ask him, so did you ever come across those old tax returns from Pennsylvania from you know, from before he started working with us. And I kept asking him for them. And he always had some kind of excuse like, oh, you know, that must have been in the box that got lost or never found them. Maybe we threw out that stuff when we were getting ready to move. You know, who knows? But we never, never, never got them. And after a couple of years, it really became kind of a moot point because a lot of those tax attributes have a lifetime and they expire. So it was like, well, you know, if you had some losses you were carrying forward, they're gone now. Too bad. You know? um, so, you know, it continued for a couple of years like that. Um, this guy would come in and he was kind of a character. He really was. He, one of his hobbies was this thing called cowboy mounted shooting. And if you plug that into Google. Mounted shooting? Yeah, if you put that into Google, you'll get these videos on YouTube of these cowboys in these arenas. And there'll be these um, stakes with balloons on top of them. And they gallop a horse down through this pattern around these stakes and shoot with a gun. I I don't know if it's a BB gun or what, but they shoot the balloons out as they're riding. And your score is based on time and accuracy. Yeah, this really is a sport. There's a lot of really bizarre sports that have to do with horses. Apparently are bizarre sports. Maybe someone else should start a podcast on the weird sports out there. <laughs> yeah. What? So, yeah. So he was a character. You know, he'd come in in his cowboy boots and, you know, talk about the horses. You know, and it was like, okay. You know, and once he even brought in a copy of a magazine for this sport so that we could see this. And we're like, okay. And uh, one time, one of the partners in the firm was in Phoenix and decided to go to this rodeo just kind of for the heck of it because they didn't have anything else going on. And there was John Smith over there on his horse, galloping down and shooting out balloons. It's, It's incredible to me, the things that people are interested in and do for fun. Like, this is a whole other type of diversity. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, as time went on, another red flag kind of came up. It didn't seem like he was paying the estimated tax payments that we were setting up for him. You know, in, in the U.S., if you are not having taxes withheld from your paycheck as an employee, then it's your responsibility to make quarterly estimated payments where you sort of guess what you're going to owe next year. 
And these are usually based on what your tax bill for the prior year was. So, you know, it didn't seem like he was making them. It was really hard to tell if he was or he wasn't. And so this was kind of a red flag, but he kind of hemmed and hawed, or he would say, well, I'm sure I did. You know, I'll get you those canceled checks or something. And so we kind of go, okay, well, maybe he did, you know? He's got a lot so, going on. In, in general, a lot of hemming and hawing could be at least a yellow flag. And I also want to point out people repeat questions or requests that are important. If you ask someone something and they hem and haul, whatever, but if you ask it four different times and like there's always an excuse or, or a reason, like the repetition adds seriousness to it. So that that makes the light yellow a dark yellow or the light red a darker red. Mm -hmm. that's, that's about right. And so, you know, this kind of went on. Now, since he had sold this property in Pennsylvania and he was still getting payments from the people who were buying it, that meant that he needed to file a Pennsylvania tax return. Yes. Because he's getting income Excuse from me. Pennsylvania. And so one year, I remember very clearly standing there with him and showing him all his tax returns and all the, all the vouchers that we'd made for his estimated taxes. And we said, okay, and here's your Pennsylvania return. He grabbed it, that Pennsylvania return, and ripped it in half in front of me. And just said, well, what? that's what I think you of. Ripped it. That's what I you think. You ripped up his tax return. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's a little weird. You know, you, you should be filing. No. You know, that's, wait, that's so wait. kind of weird. Wait. So ripping up the tax return changes it from like a red flag that's something wrong to like the bomb is off. Like normal people behaving normally never never do that like like that ripping up is this it's a literal f you to the irs right right to the pennsylvania department of revenue so okay to the pennsylvania right the, yeah the pennsylvania. so so you know this 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 was getting a little weird this must have been about 2010 and Wait, so, so we're getting so question that was such a bomb. Like the other ones, okay, you could put up with the warning signs. But with that one, did you say to him, why are you doing that? Are you not going to pay it? What's happening? Like, did you, did, you, did you address it with him? I didn't address it with him. I was kind of in shock. And I was not the one making the decisions because that was really mm -hmm. the partner, the owner of the firm. And so I told him, and he just kind of, hmm, it's a little weird. Hmm. But it was just kind of a hmm moment for him. So anyways, the big red flag, the bombshell, the bomb really went off one morning when I came into work. And our receptionist said, hey, there's an IRS agent in the conference room that, and she wants to talk to you and Carol. Carol was another tax manager in the firm, another tax person. And so I, you know, put my stuff down and got Carol and we went in there. We're like, you know, we, have, we had no idea what was going on. We had no clue. And so this IRS agent, who is a very nice young woman, said, I am here because of John Smith. And we're like, well, why? And she said, I'm here because your names were on this power of attorney that we had for some other tax matters. A power of attorney 
means that the IRS can talk to us as tax professionals as if we they were talking to the taxpayer themselves. So we kind of step into the shoes. And we like to do this because we, we're a little more careful about what we say. We're a little more circumspect. And so we know the taxpayers' rights, we try to make sure that they're protected. Yes. And so we're like, okay, yeah, I guess, you know, we remember doing that for something. Okay, sure. And turns out, she said, and she dropped the big bombshell, he hasn't filed a tax return in 10 years. In 10 years, he never filed it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then and then bombshell number two, and this isn't the first time he's done that. He did that no. back. He did that once before. He he had a habit of filing his tax returns every 10 years. Then the IRS would catch up. So she gave us all the documentation for the first time, and we could see that yeah, he owed about a hundred thousand. He had to take out a loan to pay it off, but he did pay it off. And it was, it was a really ugly kind of thing. So she said, well, based on the information that we have, which is basically all the income, but without any of the deductions. Right. Which were on paper anyway. <laughs> yeah, with just the income yeah. and adding in penalties and interest, it was about 250,000 that he owed. So we're kind of in shock, but she gave us, she gave us a ton of documentation said, you know, here, because I figure you guys don't know anything about this. So here you go. You know, so anyways, um, we called the tax partner and said, so this is what's going on. So apparently he had been getting our tax returns just because his banker needed them to, yeah, so to lend him money to to buy more land. So, yeah. That is a funny twist at the end that while he never intended to pay it, he still wanted the papers done, not for the government entity, but for the bank entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that before. There was another client I worked with who kind of did the same thing. He didn't file tax returns for, I think, 15 years or something. And then he passed away. And at that point, the IRS pounced on his sister, the executor of his estate, and found out, well, yeah, he did have tax returns for the first few years, um, but they were really just prepared to show to the bank because this particular guy invested in real estate. He was kind of a slumlord. He would buy real estate, rent it out, sell it buy some more, rent it, sell it. You know, it was just this kind of churn. Um, Anyway, so this is is not that unusual, but still. Wow. So this this bombshell happened and you told the partners and then you called them up. Yeah. Yeah. So we called him up. He came in the office and we said, so. Um, the IRS came to visit, and they informed us that you hadn't filed a tax return in 10 years, and that their tally of what you owe is something like $250,000. So how do we fix this? Um, the IRS agent said, you know, the, the first thing you have to do is get all those tax returns to me. You have to get them all to me. And so, you know, when we told him that, he just kind of went off into this rage and this incoherent rant about 
the government and this is illegal taxation and they're just taking all of his goods and taking advantage of these working people and it's illegal and you know just this incoherent rant and we're just like holy cow what is going on wow yeah so eventually he calmed down and so we started working on getting the IRS agent the tax returns you know the ones that we prepared that was easy but there were about four years worth from before he came to us that were between the last time he'd gotten in trouble with the IRS and when he'd come to us there was about four years worth he had actually prepared those and he had or he'd had them prepared and he'd given them to the IRS agent that he'd been working with and they were supposed to be filed but they never did you know who knows who knows what happened but anyways we tracked down his attorney from way back then who actually had copies of those tax returns and we got them and put them in our software. Now those old tax returns were handwritten. And so there were math mistakes and we had to fix everything. Yeah. But anyways, we got all of that taken care of. um, And we whittled down the amount he owed from 250,000 to about a hundred thousand. So that was that was a big thing that we did. That was really a big deal. That's a, that's a, a lot of savings. I want you as yeah. Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so we got all of that to the IRS agent. Wait, and so curious to know, did he file it or did he go another 10 years? So you got it to the IRS agent. So we got it. We got it to the IRS agent, and she she processed them, put them in the system, and said, "Okay, now we have to make arrangements to pay this debt." Okay, and he he went into another rage. I'm not going to pay that. I don't have the money. You know, I don't have anything. You know, all my money's is is locked up in this land that I bought. I can't. I don't have access to it. I don't have. You know, I was like, okay. And so if you can't pay your full amount due to the IRS, then the IRS has alternative methods of resolving that. The main one is this process called offer in compromise or OIC. And what this is, is the IRS will get a list of all of your assets, all your financial assets, your houses, your boats, your cars, artwork, collections, anything you have they want to know about, your credit cards and the balances on them. They want to know if there's any room to take a a cash advance anywhere. Um, because, and then, and they will evaluate all of that together with your other sources of income. They really have kind of a formula where they figure out how much they can extract from the assets you have and your income and give you enough to live on. It's not going to be luxurious living. They want this to be painful. Right. Um, but then it's, it's a formula. Yes. And so you can make an offer that is a compromise of what you owe. But you know, the first step is to fill out this paperwork for the IRS that lists all of your assets, all your financial assets and bank accounts, all of that. Um, So we said, okay, you know, you need to do this. You need to fill this out. 
And he, he went into another range, said, I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that. I can't do that. And we said, well, that, that is the next step in resolving this. You know, you either write the IRS a check for $100,000 or make payments on it, you know, make arrangements to pay it off over time, you know, whatever. But if you want to reduce the amount that you owe, this is the first step. This is what you have to do. And he went into a rage and said, I'm not going to do that. And didn't hear from him. So we figured, you know, he's pulled up stakes, you know. And and it was about that time that our firm accountant, the one who kept the books for the for the CPA firm, came to me and said, you know, he hasn't been paying our bills. He owes since, you know, he had been paying our tax bills every year until we got into this mess. All the work that I had to do in getting all the tax returns together and working with the IRS and checking the numbers, all of that added up to about $4,000 worth of work, which he hadn't paid. She had been sending him registered letters. They were coming back unopened or refused. Yeah. And it seemed like he had pulled up stakes. He had gotten his mail to P.O. Box. A P.O. Box was gone. Um, She even sent our lawyer. We had a, a lawyer who would do these kinds of collections for us, sent him out there, could not find him. He just kind of vanished. So, you know, it should have been a red flag to us that somebody who isn't going to pay the IRS might not pay our bills. So, So before we started working on resolving this tax mess of his, we should have said, okay, you need to pay us a retainer to do this. You need to pay us, you know, $1,000 a month for the next four months or whatever. I think this last point is an important and underrated learning or class of advice, which are people that are, um, that are, cheating other people they're going to turn and and cheat you as well Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to forget that you're caught up in the moment or you think it's different you know the numbers are bigger or smaller but but it 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 inevitably happens yeah yeah so anyways we didn't hear from him we figured it was kind of out of our hands. It was going to be up to the IRS now to seize his property, track him down, do whatever they needed to do to collect on this debt. But our hands were clean. You know, we were like, no, we can't, we can't help you anymore. And then One day we got a phone call from this guy who said he works for um, tax relief now. Um, Back then, back about 10 years ago, there were all these companies that sprang up to help with resolving your tax debts. So they would be on late night TV. You'd have this 1-800-GET-TAX-RELIEF-NOW. <laughs> That's um, right. Late night TV. And they would always say, you know, get your tax bills resolved for pennies on the dollar. And they would mislead the people into thinking that they had some special in, but they really didn't have anything other than the process I explained with the offer and compromise. That was, that was all that they had. They didn't have any, anything else they could offer. And 
a lot of these companies would collect a big fee up front, you know, maybe $5,000, but wouldn't do anything with it. They would just, right. you know, nothing, nothing would happen. And so he said, well, we just started working with this John Smith and we noticed that you're on his power of attorney and he'd worked with you guys for a long time. You, you know, your name is on all these tax returns. And so we're wondering, you know, we have to fill out this financial form since you know him, we're wondering if, you know, once we get it filled out, we could just kind of run it by you so that you can make sure we're not missing anything. And we're like, okay, sure why not you know we we can we can help you with that i guess you know i'm not sure who is going to pay us to do that but okay um we never heard back from them so i suspect that they didn't have any better luck in getting them to fill this out than we did we never we didn't hear from them then, and did then you, it was. Did you, hear, did you hear from him again, or did he just oh, vanish? Oh, one more time, one more time. <laughs> there's more, but wait, there's more. There's more. Yeah, he called us up, and he said the the IRS is garnishing my my retirement payments. He was getting social security payments, which is the U.S. federal retirement system. So he was getting those. And the IRS was taking a portion of it out to pay his debt. And he said, you know, they, I made a deal with them that if I get them my tax return for this year, if I get up to date, then they will stop garnishing my social security. And we said, I said, okay, but you're going to have to pay us up front for that. And you're also going to have to pay us for what you owe. And he was just kind of like, oh, okay, fine, fine, no problem. So he said, you know, I'll, I'll be there in two hours, you know, fine, whatever. So I went to the firm bookkeeper and said, okay, he's coming in. Um, how much does he owe? And we're going to tack on an extra thousand to do his tax return. Right. So he came in and I gave him an invoice for $5,000. And I said, you have to pay us this much before we'll do anything. And he just kind of, I don't have that kind of money. I can't do that. And I'm just like, okay. Sorry. Sorry. You know, I, I want to talk to, 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 to the partner i want to talk to the owner i'm like okay yeah fine call him up i'll bring him in and he just said no we're not doing the work if you don't pay us just business wow this is this is a good story we got a lot of lessons and red flags um uh, while you're telling it one question I have at the end is looking back on it now in retrospect with the 2020 hindsight and the right. sophistication of more experience that you have now than you had then at each point throughout the process is there anything that in retrospect you think you should have done differently um or oh, yeah. what what are, what are some of the key ones well you know we would have said okay well if at the beginning we would have said well if you can't give us your tax returns then can you give us power of attorney so that you know if you can't find them can you give us power of attorney so that we can get the irs transcripts uh, all the from, records from the yeah we can get we can uh, get them that would have been something to do and then he would have been able to, then he would have said, oh, well, um, hmm, there, there's a problem here. Um, I haven't filed a tax return for a few years. And we said, okay, well, let's, right. let's get you up to date. 
you know, that, that would have been a big thing right up front. Um, and but another, I, I just want to comment on that. I think that's a really good one. And I think an extrapolated version of that is when you start any sort of client engagement to have a few mandatory requirements you have to do mm-hmm. A, B, C, D. And if they only have A, B, and C, but not, but not D, to say, no, it's just, it's just fundamentally risky if you don't have D. Or if you don't have D, there's the alternative, D version one, D version two, D version three. But, um, but I, think, I think with experience, you learn the power of having policies like that. Right, right. You know, and the the other thing would have been to, and when it when it was looked like he wasn't paying his tax, his estimated tax payments, it would have been probably good to say, so why aren't you paying them? Do you need help? What's going on? Is there some explanation? We really do need to know that you are paying these. We need documentation. And if, you're, if you can't provide us documentation, then we might not be able to work with you anymore because we expect you to do that. So that would have been a reason to just say, no, we're not working with you anymore. You know, and certainly when he tore up that Pennsylvania tax return in front of me, it would have, that was like, okay, fired. Yeah. We should have, should have fired him. Tearing up your tax return, your accountant just prepared in front of your face. Like, like, definitely feels like a uh, uh, feels like uh, like a, a fireable expense uh, mm-hmm. a, a event. They, accountants talk about taxable events. We can talk about fireable events. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I actually I want to comment on that on on the fireable offense uh, or the fireable event of tearing up the tax return, which is. A challenge I've seen a lot of professionals have is people kind of want to be nice. So if someone, mm-hmm. so I've been in situations where you've seen the other person do something completely assholeish and terrible and disrespectful, implying they're going to break the law and not pay, things like things like that. And because everyone around them just wants to be nice and no one wants to hurt anyone's feelings, you're like, oh, okay. And I think one of the challenges of being a professional is like there are times when you just have to like be put your foot down and say and say no. And like if there's ever a time, like that's one of them. Right. Yeah, that that really should have been a fireable like, event. Um, you know. And I have to think that the only reason that the partner didn't fire him for that was because he still had this friendly relationship with, with, with John Smith and was still thinking this was fundamentally a good guy. Right. Because it's that's an interesting point. Because you, when someone is a bad person, you never discover it overnight. It's not like it's not like suddenly. Oh, I'm my name's really Adolf Hitler. I never told you that. Uh, 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 uh. Instead, instead you trust someone, and then there's just this very slow and steady progression of reveals. You're like, oh, that wasn't nice. That wasn't nice. That wasn't nice, and. Because because of the slow and steady reveals of not nice behavior, it usually takes a long time before you kind of like wire them all together. Be like, wait a minute, actually, 
my judgment on him was wrong. He's not as nice as uh, as nice as mm-hmm. I thought. It, it feels like a very, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit like a flaw of human nature. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this, if I had my own tact practice today, he probably would not have ever become a client. <laughs> Especially with the the shoddy record keeping that just wouldn't have worked. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. This has been a great story. To wrap up, any other general lessons or changes or uh, or advice on on how to deal with the vocal clients that uh, that that you want to share on top of all your wonderful insight that you've shared thus far. The big lesson is trust your gut instincts. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. And don't ignore the red flags because they will just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and the other thing to remember is your clients are not your friends. I think that was the reason why he remained a client of the firm so long because he was friends with the owner, with the partner. And so you just. That's actually a good one. And that's also very underrated advice um, as well. And I think when you work very closely with someone, like often a client in a professional work, deeply hand in hand and you spend a lot of time together it's natural to uh like to become friends and especially if people have like mm-hmm. uh compatible personality types it's um it's very natural and it's often hard to remember that as friendly as you become it's just really important to still have that have that boundary between mm-hmm. you two yeah yeah, this is this is great advice, and that's a perfect one to uh, end the end the show on. Oh, perfect! Good, <laughs> good. Uh, this this was wonderful. Thank you, Liz, uh, uh, for the time. I enjoyed this story, and um, and I hope you enjoyed telling it, and I hope mm-hmm. all of the viewers uh, enjoyed enjoyed listening to it as well. Well, I hope that the listeners get something useful out of this and learn to not make the mistakes that we did. Lesson number one, if you're going to rip up your tax return, don't do it in front of your accountant. (laughs) Do it behind their back. (laughs) Wait till you get home, maybe. Wait wait till you get home. Exactly. (laughs) This was fun. Thank you. Thank you very much. To be Thanks continued. a lot.